clubhouse. This is Caroline. This is Steph. This is Sheila. And this is Mike. Welcome to the I Know This Much Is True podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode four. Hello, ladies. So in some ways, this was maybe the most devastating episode that we've seen so far. And I feel like we have said that every week. It keeps getting better and better. This or one's worse real. Worse. You know what, uh, Sheila? Now I just, I am worrying the way that they've managed to ratchet it up every single time. Wally Lamb. How are we going to survive two more episodes? What's your this? deal, Wally? It's going to get worse before it gets better, I guess. I don't know if it's going to get better. We were also totally wrong in our last week prediction that we were getting to the grandfather this week right? uh, with him going into the tree. You know, we had surmised that this would take him off the board. It looks like next week we'll get the story. Mm. Was this maybe the most expected thing ever that Ray is flipping out on Thomas about his grades? I think it was part of the package deal from what we saw with how he was handling college year number one with, you know, just not being able to get out of bed. How is he going to have anything passable in terms of a grade? Not shocking that Ray went to town. Him. I was afraid we were going to have to see some actual yeah. physical abuse. That's the one thing that so far, it's just the implied idea that Ray is doing things, but somehow that it, this is like more painful to me than maybe even seeing it. It makes me have to imagine. It's interesting, though, that they haven't shown it since they have not shied away from showing violence and, and showing Thomas hurting himself, obviously, in this episode in particular, mm. banging his head, all of those kinds of things that he did. And then obviously it ratcheted up here. So I wonder, I wonder if that's what kind of message we're supposed to take from that. It feels deliberate and it feels consistent um, because there is no reason why we should just be told that Ray was a dick all summer. And then we see like the, you know, like the scene in the, at the kitchen table, which you guys, how dick move of it that he lets Thomas figure out by a letter yeah. that he switched roommate situations. Like, wouldn't he have known that that's going to set him off? Like, come on. You should have told him. Well, he's a coward, though. I mean, right? I found it particularly funny that he went on this tirade about Ray dicking him around all summer until the end when he wrote the check for their next year of college. And he's chastising Ray for coming in and acting a hero and acting like a saver and calling him pathetic for it. Dominic, my man, my dude. You are the exact same way. You are not Thomas. You are Ray. Certainly the idea of like the behind the scenes making other plans and fooling around with someone else's future, you know, making them dangle there is like, good God. I I just, I'm with you, Steph. Like, you know, he knows that Thomas is going to flip out right. when he finds out. I mean, what even was that? Obviously, Thomas was going to have a negative reaction, but I, I, I don't know. I felt like it would be more like a, a self-hurt or a inward reaction, not him shouting that you're a traitor. I was actually proud of Thomas for yelling that because I agreed with him. But it seemed like a bold thing for him to yell at his brother, who he really does seem to adore otherwise. Were you, were you guys surprised at that, that kind of explosive response? I don't know if I was surprised. When he was digging into the table with the knife, the only thing I could think of is that Ray's going to like fucking kill you for like damaging this table. I guess I was thinking back to number three, where Mike, you were saying you wish that Dominic would step in more and say, stop doing that, quit doing that. You're going to get yourself into trouble, like stop. And so to see Dominic actually step in and say, stop digging in the table, like, you're going to get yourself in trouble, like stop. And then it actually get worse and worse and worse to breaking the chair and rolling around on the floor and everything. I think I was very focused on that. Uh, of all the disturbing things we've seen in this series, this in one in particular was maybe the most triggering for me. I don't know why it really, really upset me seeing him like wrestle and not be able to overpower him and then taking it to the floor and the way 
Philip Ettinger is acting in the scene, just flopping his body around as Thomas. It was it was so, so, so disturbing from the knife thing, because again, was he going to turn the knife on himself? Was he going to turn it on Dominic? It was very, very disturbing and uh, hard to watch, I thought. Like in most shows, you see them, you know, throwing punches when young men fight. They're like fighting differently. This was very just raw. And they're just, like you said, flailing around. It's like trying to overpower each other. It was really hard to watch. Yeah, there was like some pent up rage kind of coming out in that scene. So to your point, Steph, like neither of them wanted to hurt each other, but it was like a restraining of one another, like a trying to troll the other one without punching. But it was like their physical closeness was going to hurt each other because of the way that they were like writhing around, Mm -hmm. which is like the bigger metaphor of it all, right? That was the surprise, though, I think, to Dominic was when he go into like take the knife out of his hand, I thought it would be something easy. Their relationship and the power dynamic feels like Dominic should be able to overpower Thomas, like physically. But physically, they are the same. It is not this like bigger brother, little brother thing. It's like fighting yourself. And so there was like some shock on Dominic's face at that, at the resistance he was met. And I also felt the shock of it, which I think also made it seem worse. And rational thought is leaving him. So, you know, obviously he knows he should put down the knife if it was a normal situation, but you can see the rational thought is leaving Thomas. And I'm pretty sure that the way that they were fighting too was like, if either one of them had a black eye, wouldn't Ray just go a little bit more ape shit on them at the end of the day. The line that is said later, Lisa says, well, it's one of those situations when you're trying to help and you actually do more damage that exact phrase could be applied to so many situations like this, like Dominic saying, you know, quit digging into the table. And then that just makes him dig into it more and more. And then actually physically getting interacting with him. And it just blows up more and more and then breaking the chair. And now you're like, now Ray's definitely going to fucking get involved because furniture's broken. You know, this is just getting worse and worse. It, it was a surprise to, to realize like, this is no longer going to be able to be with just words. And then the whole you are me thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was when, he, rough. when Thomas says you are me, very, very devastating because you can just see that he's like spiraling away. Dominic really did not like the implication that they are the same person. And you know, Thomas gives him like this smile. There were a couple of creepy smiles in this episode, but he gives us like smile after Dominic walks away that. I, I don't even know what it was trying to say. It was almost like, like, yeah, it made my point kind of, it was all disturbing though. But that smile left me with like goosebumps, you know, on my, on my arms. Yeah. What do you guys think about the idea of especially identical twins and the idea of you are me, we are one person. I know it was Steph and I have sets of twins and both of us have fraternal twins though. So we don't get that nearly as much, but we do have a lot of friends who have identical. I think there is sometimes some identity Issues, not just with people not recognizing them, but with that sort of sense of like, you don't like the same things I like. What a shock. The idea of even parenting where we've heard people be like, well, should I treat them differently? Should I whatever? And as fraternal twin moms, we're like, they're two different people. What do you mean? Like, that's a no brainer. Like, yeah, you treat them differently. But there is there is a strange sense of like, they're just a carbon copy of one another. Stuff did it ring true to you at all when he was like, you are me. And there's like some sense of like shared qualities amongst identical twins that can get a little weird. It was definitely a weird feeling when he was saying that to Dominic. And clearly Thomas is realizing he's spiraling and disturbed. And But I think that 
like we said, Dominic has his own issues. So I think Thomas is recognizing that too. I like that concept a lot, actually. You know, you're just as much writhing around on the floor as I am. Right. You know, you may be hiding things better and whatever, but look what you did. You like went behind my back and totally freaking like changed up the, the housing and stuff. Like you're, you have your own set of issues. It depends too. We didn't really see a lot in their childhood whether their mom treated them exactly the same like that or expected them to be the same person. The identical twins, I, you see it sometimes like... I have boy-girl twins, so when they were little, we did. They had the same little bouncy seat. They had the same little ride-on car or whatever. But now that they're older, obviously nothing they have is the same. But when you have twin girls or twin boys, it's like, well, one can't have the pink one and one can't have the purple one. They both have to have pink or else there's a disturbance about it. More with identical twins, they have the same things. They have the same clothes. They have the same. They wear the same outfits on. The same haircuts. Yeah. That kind like, of stuff. The, like, we see that a lot. Yeah. Can I tell you how much that creeps me out? Like, you do that even with, like, <laughs> close-age siblings, yeah. ugh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Stuff's hitting on something really important. It has a lot to do with how you're treated. If mom buys two outfits that are the same, you guys can understand as out of the twin world how that could really screw with your brain and like really make you think like, I have to be the same as her. Yeah. I have to like the same things yeah. as she does. And or- like, and maybe I am somewhat the same as this person who mirrors me. None of us can imagine seeing yourself walking around the house. Right. You, know, you glance over and you see the, you, your exact image looking at you. It does kind of mess with your brain, right? Like I'm around now a friend who her twins are too. I spent all afternoon at her house on Friday. I am determined to tell them apart today. Like I've been around these girls for long enough that I should be able to tell them apart. And so I was like studying them all day. Like I could not find a difference. I literally couldn't. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, I cannot tell them apart. They dress the same. They have, they look exactly the same. I was yeah. like, this is so weird. So do you think it would affect those little girls' minds and their I don't perceptions know. I mean, of themselves? It depends on how long and how far you carry it. When they're two, like it's cute and they don't care what color their bow is. But whenever they say, mom, I don't want to wear the pink bow. Right. Do you say, okay, that's fine. Don't you know that Thomas and Dominic have like one drawer of pants <laughs> right. and one drawer and they of shirts? Yes. They had to share the same underwear. <laughs> My girls do, right? Isn't that another conversation we've all had yeah, as twin moms? Yeah, they have the moms? same clothes. It's like, if your kids are of the same size, like my girl, is it fine that they share underwear? Like, yeah. it's just everything goes in the underwear drawer and then just whatever, whatever pair you pull Well, out, how do you right? tell it apart? Who's is whose? That was a lot of I think if you're, <laughs> like, my point was, if you're forcing them at that age when they're starting to want that independence and wanting to make their own decision, like, if you're saying, no, you have to wear the same thing, no, you have to both go to ballet, you then maybe that's where it becomes a problem. We didn't get that background on Dominic and Thomas as to whether they were sort of forced to be the same person through childhood or were they allowed to have different interests and different clothes or whatever i'm a little wigged out that somebody else might have been wearing my underwear if i had a twin or like a sister that was like a year apart they gotta have a brother who's only a year apart we ain't wearing the same underwear but like from like a mom's standpoint i mean like everything's the same sizes and it's like you could play that game of like well then you only wear this color underwear yeah and then you have to force them to wear but but, right and then that's a color whole fucked up and that's a whole nother fight Mm, yeah it's like a whole issue say all girl socks and all girl underwear is in this (laughs) drawer and if your ass fits in it you wear it okay (laughs) That's how it works. Hey, now that all of our asses are the same, I have underwear that these weasels wear. And I'm like, you're wearing my bra. Take it off. It's a whole thing. We all all wear the same sports bra. So I was like, take it off. That one's mine. I am so glad I have a son. Right? I know. It's a whole thing. Well, my boys are different age. They are different sizes, but they fit both 
kids. Right. So they're like, those are my shorts. I'm like, at this point, I don't care. It's just clean. Get it in your room. Put mm-hmm. it in your drawer. They are the ones that are like sorting through it. There are times when Jack walks through the room and I'm like, you're wearing my shirt. You can't tell. It's skin tight. Like you can't, the sleeves look like little cap sleeves. Like take it off. He's like, I didn't even this notice. It's getting confusing. That was a lot of conversation about twins. The topic goes so much further than just the idea of Thomas having some sort of mental illness. And so therefore the concept of we are the same person, it goes well beyond that. It does go into this twin whole world of how the world treats you, how people are very okay with saying your names interchangeably. Lauren, Elizabeth, whichever one you are. And people are okay with treating you like... Well, and you pair their names together, same order every time. Right. It's always Lauren. Yep. And I don't know. It's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some truth to it, I guess, is what we're saying. They're like, that's creepy. <laughs> it's just a whole different world. I only have one kid. I grew up with one sibling who I have a brother and a year younger than me. So, you know, that had its own challenges. But, you know, to hear sort of the intimate workings of like twin life, it's just, I mean, I have identical twins in my family, but like to hear sort of like the dynamic of, hey, you guys, you know, have the same clothes and same bow. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot of dynamics, I guess I never really thought about. So I'm just kind of like, huh. Truly on the outside, they, for like a birthday party, they will just buy two of one thing. Yes. The same thing. The same exact thing two times without any thought of whether or not the person, the the kid likes it or not. Actually have the same level of interest in that thing. They will just buy to whatever. So I used to nanny for a good friend of ours. They, she had twins when I was 19 years old and I was in college. So I was helping like take care of them because it was just, it was a lot. Yeah. And no, um, we know. <laughs> exactly. And I was working in a labor and delivery unit at the time. So I, I was like shell shocked from like all angles. Yeah. Um, when it came time for their birthdays and things like that, I never thought to buy them the same thing. I bought two separate toys because I figured, hey, when one's done playing with this, the other one can mm-hmm. have something new to play with. Maybe I didn't get the twin handbook or something. I don't know. Or maybe well, that, I did and I got the right one. I don't know. That's where mine got lucky because they're boy girl. I think only their first birthday party was like a joint theme. I did a peanut butter and jelly birthday party. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> it was super cute. Um, but since then, I literally have split their birthday party in half. Like the right side of the cake is dinosaurs. The left side <laughs> of the cake is kitty cats. The balloons on the left side of the room are pink and the balloons on the right side of the room are green. Like I literally just split the room in half and made it like half dinosaurs and half kitty cats. Like I can't afford to throw you two entire birthday parties. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I'm trying very hard to let them just choose the theme, like whatever they want. Oh Kate, Caitlin wants it at sweet and sassy, and Caleb wants it at... Caleb doesn't want his hair did for Yeah, his no, he doesn't want his nails painted, so... <laughs> All right, you guys, we can move on. I just, we just felt like we had to hit up twins for a while. 20 okay, we, it, this, right? def- this episode needed that kind of levity, so... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's so. just, it's the main thing is that just from two twin moms, you have to know that this is not coming from a mental illness standpoint exclusively yeah there is a lot of identity confusion there is a lot of sharing of your life experiences down to your underwear that can get a little like almost like body dysmorphia ish Mm -hmm. type feelings where it's like i don't know what i look like and what you look like and who i am and who you are and where it separates like what do i like like? where do i end where do you begin you know that kind of stuff i think that that's like not uncommon did you guys remember that they were born six minutes apart and that uh, one was born one day and one was born the other did it did it you one, immediately not one remember day, that one year one yes. decade yes but one it's, was born it's in six 49. minutes right so but so funny enough mine were born six minutes apart how about yours 
like it said one minute on the birth uh, certificate. C section. Yeah. 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 Right. Actually, the birth is like hand. 30 seconds apart. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Six minutes apart is super common. And I remembered it from the the pilot episode that they said it was like the first line, but I didn't remember it when we started doing the lottery. I was only listening for one date. It's hard to watch. Yeah. Super hard to watch. Of course, it has to break against Thomas, right? right? I mean, the yeah. difference in numbers being what they are. Who would ever think that six minutes would ever really make that much of a difference in your life? None of us are of an age to really appreciate the idea of the draft and being in this age bracket, you know, thinking about your number coming up and what that must have been like. These guys' parents went through it, right? Because World War II had the draft and then it was like a generation. And now with Vietnam coming, then these guys had it. And, you know, we didn't have that with uh, the next war, which would have been really uh, the Gulf War. And so it's just something I think that we all didn't grow up with. So it's hard to really appreciate the the panic and the stress that must have been surrounding this. But Thomas definitely seems to understand it. Are y'all's parents of the age that would be have dealt with this? Because mine are. My 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 dad was like 100% a part of the, the lottery and all that stuff. Were your own families like because this is something I've talked about with my parents about how scary it was to wait and watch for the numbers and all that. My father was called up, but never went overseas. He did all he did his like entire tour in Texas. And my dad was actually in the army from 60 to 64. So he was he had enlisted. So he was actually kind of before like the surge in Vietnam. So he was basically done, but he was in like act- active duty status reserve. Sorry, he was in reserve status, but he was never called back. My dad went in went in in, in 69. My father was going in at the same time that this conversation is taking place in the episode. Okay. Yeah, I think my dad is younger than that, but he's never mentioned. Now that I think about it, that Dominic and Thomas are my parents' age now. Yeah. Because that would be right, like age-wise. Huh. Like actually right on right. My parents' age. That's weird. There's my little thought for the day, y'all. Mm. Thomas and Dominic are peers of my parents. Weird. Going back to this flashback, though, but I was really turned off how checked out he seemed to be on how Thomas was doing in school. I mean, when him and Leo come up and find Thomas getting, you know, trashed and he starts banging his head against the wall and he's he's talking to him like they're not brothers, let alone identical twins. He's talking to him like he hasn't checked in with how school is going since maybe school started. Like, I get you need your own space and you want your own identity and you're going to go have this great dorm life with Leo now. But you just completely leave him flat to the point that you don't know how he's doing in school. This is December 1st. He, you you haven't checked in for three months on, on how it's going. Uh, that seemed kind of unacceptable to me. Well, I think he wanted to check out like altogether because he moved out and wanted to be separated from him. It's like he just wanted to be done. Oh, for sure. I just I guess I just didn't appreciate at the extent to which he. If you watch that scene again, you would not know other than the fact that they're identical that these two were brothers. Mm-hmm. He was talking to him like a casual friend, not like someone that. He was only six minutes born apart. Like Dominic had his hand on Thomas's shoulder. That's like kind of like the buddy bar Mm -hmm. move. You know, that's not a very intimate, you know, reach out to somebody. So, yeah, I I agree with that, that assessment because it's just, it seemed so off. It It was like he hadn't seen him in three months almost. Yeah. I appreciated that Leo and Dessa obviously remained the same level of interest in Thomas and, and consistently being like, you're, you know, you're, you're a good guy and all that stuff. And Dessa being like, double trouble, you're sweet and smart and all that kind of sweetness. Like, I felt like those two have been so consistent. I, I love them the most. Dessa and Leo are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of other redemption for these characters. <laughs> uh, what did you think of them saying that uh, he's lucky to have you as a brother? 
uh, he's lucky to have you. You're a good brother. I, I snorted out loud at that line. <laughs> All evidence to the contrary. I, I, I don't think you understand what the word lucky means. I just felt so awful for Thomas when, you know, Dessa said, hey, let's dance. And he starts dancing, but he's wildly inappropriate. My heart just sunk. I don't, was he wildly inappropriate? He just looked like he was having a good old time. Yeah, he was definitely I, dancing to his own beat there. Just it, To me, it looked wildly inappropriate because... You know, it just you, you mean out of place. People, like you just mean like yeah. he stood out as like he did stand like out the awkward sure. guy dancing by yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've seen people who have their own issues, you know, with mental illness, and that to me was one of those triggering moments. It was just like, oh god, why are you doing that? Please don't put it out there on display for everyone to see. It was also kind of drunk, drunk white guy dancing as well. That's what I took it yeah. as more than anything else. But was, I'm with you. you. Know, yeah. It still I mean, is cringeworthy I, I, either way, really. Mm-hmm. My perspective is a little different. No, I'm with you. I mean, a, as a white guy who gets drunk sometimes, this this didn't seem so far off. Do you dance like that? Have you danced like that? <laughs> I, based on based based on the response on this podcast, I'm going to say no. I don't know. I I can't identify with that experience. Feeling a little attacked here, but um, <laughs> no, no. I yeah, clearly. I, I imagine his dance moves probably are not that great when he's sober, but I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a funny scene. I don't, it didn't uh, strike me as like a, like a weird thing. So. For me, it came right after he was banging his head against the wall and like kind of, kind of making a joke about it, but not at the same time, because it's just, he just couldn't stop himself when he's complaining about the dorm being too hot. And that's why he can't concentrate. And that's why his grades suck. And then all of a sudden he's out there dancing. It was just like, Oh dear God. Like I've, I've seen you before. Mm-hmm. I know you. Well, it's Dominic like called him crazy, you know, for the comment about the dorm being too hot. And then he was like, oh, no, no, you're not crazy, man. I'm sorry. You know, like it's like he was rude and it's like, oh, wait, that was inappropriate. So he was just like, you're not crazy, man. You're you're all good. You're all good. It's like he realized. And then Dessa said you're a good brother. So I was like, he's not being very nice. How long before Dominic realizes that telling Thomas to pull your shit together is not good advice that's doing anything? I feel like he's still saying that even in the present time. I was going to say, we we get to 40 years old and he's still saying. Pull your shit together is not constructive advice. Telling someone who's not calm to be calm is just, you know, counterproductive. So then we, through a series of kind of complex layered flashbacks, we get the fact that Thomas did in fact drop out, which is disappointing, but he's living back at home and Ma calls Dominic because Thomas won't come downstairs. Did you guys expect this scene in the bathroom. And did you expect it to be so graphic? No. I didn't expect that they were going to show his mouth like that. Oh, like, that was no. pretty wicked. When she said that he locked himself in the bathroom, I, I knew that, that there was nothing good that was going to come mm. out of that. Because of where he was, you know, so where his descent had kind of landed him at the last time we saw him, I, I knew this was going to just be so difficult to watch. I, I just expected some sort of emotional breakdown. I didn't expect, like, a physical problem. It was very reminiscent of that third grade situation in the bathroom and everyone's sort of expecting Dominic to be able to get him out. Yeah. It, it surprised me just because that's not where my mind had gone. But after seeing it, it didn't seem like out of character or wrong. We had seen the birth of the first paranoid delusion with the with the English teacher saying that she's out to get me. The birth of the idea that someone is out to get me, I'm being tracked that kind of paranoia. So this seemed like an escalation of that, though turning to the physical self-harm, obviously we know that it will get worse. Um, It all seemed like real escalation. That's the other reason why it felt very like I didn't expect him to have physically hurt himself because 
the the cleaving of his hand, the way that it was being handled seemed like the first time he had physically hurt himself. And so I was taken aback that it had had happened so much earlier and he had done so much damage to his physical body so much younger. Dominic's response to the cleaving of the hand was so calm in a lot of ways of being like, it's his own hand. And if he wanted it off and that kind of stuff, he was, he had, he had like an easier time with that. And it, I guess makes a little more sense to me because I'm like, Oh, because he has seen him hurt his body before. This was not a total shock. I think it's interesting that he keeps saying whenever he has a violent outburst, like to Dr. Patel about the turning of the table in the lunchroom, or later on, we're going to learn that, you know, he struck Lisa. He's been adamant every time about how that's not like Dominic. Dominic's never done anything like that. He's never been violent before. But yeah, I know but where you're he going. Has. Yeah, he yeah. has, Dominic. Like, Thomas has been violent before. He is, uh, look what he did here. Look what he did with his hands. He has been violent before. Maybe not to other people, or at least that we know. But I think it's just another sign of Dominic as an unreliable narrator. That everything is through a very specific filtered lens of his own choosing. And that it would never get escalated. Like, no, this would not, he would never hurt someone else. It would never escalate up. But then when we have the scenes of like the kitchen table and like, you know, I, I recognize he wasn't trying to hurt Dominic and all that stuff, but it's like, no, Dominic, it has escalated. You have been writhing around the floor. You did break furniture. Like this has gotten worse and worse and worse, but you're right. He's always downplaying it. So moving on from here, we see Thomas being committed, uh, presumably for the first time, but I couldn't read the sign. Were you guys able to tell what building that is? Is, that, is it just important because it's the first commitment? Definitely, we're talking about it beforehand too. And we we were agreeing that like it was very hard to tell. The building itself looked a lot like Hatch, but then we were saying, well, but it's kind of Settle was a part of Hatch. So maybe they, they were probably taking him to Settle. But I agree with you that it was unclear. Yeah. It was not a very obvious, this is where they're taking him and this is what's happening. We were just saying, well, it seemed like the same complex, but we couldn't really tell where he was going. I thought it looked like Hatch with like a different paint job. Like it was mm-hmm. like it was twenty years removed. So like I thought it was Hatch when I first saw it. Like the sort of like the broad cinematography of it. I think either way though, it, it was that was kind of a shock to me, only because I didn't really appreciate ever how long he had been institutionalized. If that's the right word, you know, or at at settle or at Hatch, you know, in a in a hospital setting. I guess I just didn't appreciate that it had been two decades that he had been there assuming that there was no time in between where he was out of the hospital and back home and living a life. Did you guys realize that he had been committed for so long? Yeah. Only from the standpoint that he was in the quote unquote hospital when Dominic and Dessa were getting married, like he ran over to the hospital. I guess I didn't, I did not expect that exact complex. Like we said, Sheila, like whether they were checking him into Hatch or whether Settle is an offshoot of Hatch, which we kind of know it is. I don't really know, but it seemed like the whole same complex to be there for so many years. And then also Dominic not have any real knowledge of Hatch or how to get around there or the people there or the anything for him to have been on that campus for so long all feels like a disconnect to me. But also hits home that much harder. Let's say it is Settle or maybe this is the intake building of Hatch, but he, he winds up at Settle. I think it makes it even more devastating to have him pulled out of there and then put into a place like Hatch. You know, if he had bounced around from place to place, hospital to hospital for two decades, what's one more now being in Hatch, right? I think that's a very different feel than someone who is paranoid schizophrenic, who has now adjusted to life for 20 years in this one building. And now you've torn him as a middle-aged man into this other setting. How does anyone expect him to react to that? That seems unwise. Yeah. 
Agreed. I just assumed it was subtle just based on the setting, but I was really just thinking about how devastating that must have been for his family to be dropping him off at a facility at that young age. Like I was surprised that he was so young and already in like a care facility. So I just was sort of devastating that moment as a mom thinking that we've already reached this point. They didn't say how much further it was after the whole bathroom incident, but I mean, it seemed recently after that, that he was being admitted to this facility. So it just was like, man, we, we have reached this point fairly quickly. And it's, it was just really sad to watch. And and so telltale of Ray walking five steps behind Ma and Dominic and Thomas, you know, it's funny how things just have never changed at all. I was just going to ask you about the concept of like the no middle ground, you know, the idea of like, you're either at home or you're institutionalized, but there's like no middle ground at this point for them to get like in-home services or him to be supported, you know, maybe going even every day to a counseling sessions and stuff like that. But that it seems like you're either at home and you have no support and just good luck caretakers or you're full-time institutionalized. You know, that's really been like sort of the evolution in terms of psychiatric care. It's only a recent and I say recent, I'm going to say within the last 20 years or so, maybe a little bit more, you know, where like group homes, adult day centers for people who have disabilities have really kind of sprung up. So like in 1990, like it's black and white. It's either you're well enough to be home and medicated and not a danger to yourself and society, or you have to kind of be in this secure facility where your freedom is restricted and things like that. And this is why also within healthcare, the wait time for a bed in a state institution, a state hospital, like what hatches is astronomical because you have these people who they get a little bit better and then they can maybe move to like a settle type facility and then they have some sort of an episode or a break or something changes and then they have to be readmitted to like the more secure location. So like Dominic, when he was telling Dr. Patel about his wedding day and Thomas was too sick to attend, it's not that he couldn't attend because he was in a hospital setting. It's because he'd had some sort of a break and he was in a more secure setting. You know, so there's this this fluctuation back and forth with the you know the development of the disease and the way the disease you know reacts and changes over time. So there's this notion that it's like a ping pong. You know, you get better for a while and then something changes and you get worse. That makes sense to me. And I mean, obviously, on the other side of, of the coin, currently there's the Medicaid at home waivers that we have in Texas, which is the same thing. Like minimum 15 year wait, you're on it lifetime. So you're really waiting for someone to die for them to try to open up more spots for you to be able to get support in your own home. And so there, there's weights everywhere. There's loopholes here that people use where they do check their children into an institution and you have to be there for 24 hours. And then if you can check them back out, then you are automatically offered the waiver. So there's like a whole game played with the system of how to do that. But that's also messed up. You know, it's so messed up that you should have to do anything like that in order for you to get the support to be able and to the care. care of people Frankly, at the home. care. Yeah. Right. Right. To be able to have people be able to come out to your home or do anything like that. So it is a messed up system for sure for everyone, including Ma and everything. Like no one wants to have to leave them there, I'm sure. And it just like from 1990 till now, it really hasn't gotten a whole lot better. Maybe there's just some more options, but. Like you said, it's a game. People play a game. So you have to, you know, know the system in order to, you know, maneuver around it. All right. So we are starting back to 1990s, current day, if you will, Dominic, and he's hanging out with Leo at the car lot waiting for the claims guy to come. 
time-wise, we're, we're talking less than 12 hours thereabouts from when he hits the tree. Damages-wise, I kind of thought he would still be in the hospital. It looked like such a hard hit. It seemed very odd to me that he would be so fine so fast. When I realized that they were talking, this is just the next day or the next morning even, I was like, that was not consistent with what that car accident looked like. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, that's really odd writing. But from like a healthcare perspective, that does not make any sense whatsoever. Like he would have had to go for x-rays and CAT scans and, you know, none of that stuff takes 45 minutes. Like it takes like a couple hours, you know. So the fact that it's 12 hours later is very suspect to me. And he even has like a prescription and everything like ready to go there. So it all seemed very like that was very speeds for our healthcare system. Healthcare is not that, you know, well no. connected that they're going to get all of that done. <laughs> you know, he would have to kept for like observation, like make sure that there's no concussion based on like how his face looks. But that also seems like Dominic would be the type of guy to check himself out right against doctor's orders. That, that is entirely possible. AMA totally heading out. <laughs> so uh, what do you guys think of Leo and his role of the with the claims guy and how he finessed the situation? Do we all need a best friend like Leo? Leo was trying to save that train wreck. <laughs> it, like Dominic was just going off the rails on this adjuster guy, like just giving him an attitude. And what adjuster in our experience, people, has ever been on time for anything? contractor, adjuster, any of these people, nobody's on time. So the fact that Dominic is just giving him an attitude is just getting this off on the wrong foot. And then Leo just like stepped in like little savior. I thought it was good what he was doing. But of course, Dominic had to like twist it. Yeah, I mean, this is Leo in his world, right? I mean, this is what Leo does. This is why presumably Dominic wanted it to take place at the car lot. Leo knows this world and, and he's clearly a schmoozer and and you know, naturally charismatic. So yeah, we all need a friend like Leo, though I my ears perked up the same way as Dominic's when he makes the joyous world famous. I took it the exact same way Dominic did. But at the same time, bro, like she just told you she's pregnant and you know it's not your kid. So are you so shocked that she's being passed around like a Sunday collection plate at church? Like I, I it seemed weird to me. Like you walked out on this woman to go stalk your ex but you're getting upset when he's trying to get the best deal for you at the car lot. Yeah, but that's savior complex, no? That's the, you oh, for sure, talk for about sure. my woman, you know, kind of thing. So consistent with him, but bullshit because, you know, come on. He was just making a joke, trying to keep things light. I thought it was interesting uh, it, taking a step back uh, when Leo's trying to tell him, like, you look like a Rocky home, uh, like a homeless Rocky. And he tells him to uh, just take the telex, um, the, the pain pills. And he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to be wasted for when the adjuster gets there, when he's going to be negotiating, which Leo's doing the negotiating. So I don't understand that point. But as soon as that guy is gone, he's like popping pills. So you don't want to be wasted for your car adjuster, but you have Thomas's hearing coming up and that's when you want to start popping the pills for. I thought that was pretty classic selfish Dominic. He's staying sober for the thing that benefits him directly, but not otherwise. Were you guys surprised that Ray was the one that picked him up and actually was like trying to talk him through the day and be like, you know, I don't know if you're planning this right. You know, maybe you should do it this way or I'll help you tomorrow or that kind of thing. Did Ray's behavior surprise anyone? I mean, he was being super fatherly. This was how you would expect a loving father to act in the same situation. Like, this is not a good sign that you ran off the road in the middle of the night that you're going to go try and pull down shutters. Just let me take you home. Everything will wait and I'll help you tomorrow. Ray saying, I'll help you do this work tomorrow. Really, really strange. And, and even with Dominic, who he seems to have had a better relationship than Thomas, it seems very anti the Ray that we've been told about. Well, I was surprised, too, that he 
called him his kid. He was like, well, I care. You're, you're my kid after all. I was like, what? Like, I literally made a face like, okay. You guys, I'm still putting my money on that raise their real dad. I'm just putting my money out there. I'm leaving it on. I'm, I'm leaving it on black. <laughs> like, because when I was out there, I was thinking about this this morning. I was laying there and I was thinking, what would be the greatest damn twist of all? What would be if I was Wally Lamb who takes it so far every time? How could I twist the knife like that much harder? Ray's going to be their actual freaking father, isn't it? And I don't know nothing. This 900-page book has no interest to me. And and certainly not watching ahead. So I'm like, Ray, you are going to end up being the damn dad, aren't you? And then this is going to be the strangest relationship ever from Go. I mean, Maury Povich is actually booked into the sixth episode. So now you actually need very much wondering what is going to happen. Oh, my God. I, I, I thought sense. it was weird that I saw him in the cast list. You Maury got Povich, Steph. So. Steph goes, are you serious? <laughs> you know, the fact, <laughs> that, like, Connie Chung has, you know, the fact that Connie Chung has played into this, Connie Chung, Maury Povich, they're married. Oh. We're married. I don't know if they still are. Well, see how very circular this all so is. It's all coming together now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so the whole shutter scene, you guys, mm-hmm. I was like clenching Holy my shit. ass every time he got up on the ladder or when he's just walking with one of those contractor ladders, which have you guys ever dealt with one of yes, those before? They're a pain. They yes. are awful. They're so fucking heavy. We have like a two story foyer and we had to change a light bulb. Yeah. And I had to get in there and I was in charge of holding and I was like, God damn it. This thing is like sliding onto my fingers. I almost got my fingers chopped off multiple times. I have to I get like, up on the ladder because I'm like the lightest <laughs> one. And so they're all like, you go up there. I'm like, I'm oh, always dang it. the part of trying to keep everything stable up in here okay that's my role when you're on the second story everything is rickety the ladder is rickety everything your hands are rickety and his hand is freaking bandaged and he's climbing up a ladder and like leaning over to pull off shutters Mm -mm. like did anyone else like look at the house and be like that is a fucking three-day job. Sorry. Yeah. Like, and, oh, oh my yes. good, like when you're healthy, that's a three-day job. And when they pulled like, up oh, and he's oh, like, I'm just going to pull off the shutters and they pull up and the way that they pan the house was like you would a haunted house where you come up from the bottom and you're like, boom, or the house like looks the so, family. yeah, it looks so looming. I was like, the fuck? We're going to try to get this all yeah. down. Like with our one paw, like all that <laughs> stuff, like give me a break. I mean, I was cringing, like, even before he climbed up the ladder, I'm thinking, it's going to fall on him, he's going to hit a power right. line. This was way worse. I like your power line. Yeah, I was, was like, he's going to hit a power good. line, he's going to hit a power line. Uh, that would have been, like, a piece that of cake. so much better. Right? When he had so the better. ladder, it reminded uh, me of, like, Barnum and Bailey Circus, where yeah. the clown, like, acts like he can't <laughs> handle it, and he's like, whoa, and then they go the other way, whoa, and there's, like, a bucket I, of confetti on the top, you're like, <laughs> like that. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Every time I've ever manipulated one of those big ladders, it's exactly like that. Yeah. I, I have clear memories. I have clear memories of my driveway in Queens going back and forth from house to house. Whoa, whoa. Like, like the strong wind blowing right? around. And we're like, the audience they like, are, don't dump the confetti on me. No. Like, it's all right. like that. Oh my it, it god! It was one of those. It was one of those scenes where, like, people in the movie theater start like yelling at the screen, like, yes. "Don't go in there! Oh, don't go yes. in there!" You know, yes. like, you know, something bad is going to happen. You just don't know what is going to happen. Mrs. Rude comes with her, oh. foreshadowing. Mr. Rude's having a bad day. I think you should probably go home. And the only reason why he doesn't in that moment is because he literally doesn't have a ride. Yeah. I think that had there been a truck there, he would have just left. Uh, for sure. I don't think so. I think he you had think he would have just blown up his through? ass. I don't know that he was like, I want to get this. It's like what I don't understand is like he's blown off this job now for weeks. Yeah, for why weeks. does it have like, to be like, today? To be today, like, but I just think like no matter what the situation was, he would have absolutely had this bug up his ass. I would have been like, yep, I got to do this today. 
regardless of having a truck there or not. Are you guys like this or do you or is your spouse like this or anybody you know like this? We're like, if something very important is happening that day, <laughs> your partner or whomever's in your life finds some asinine project that like <laughs> today's the day that has to happen. I'll give you an example. Maybe you're packing for a trip and the flight is in a couple of hours and today's the day we have to go to the attic and move those boxes from one side to the other because today's <laughs> the day. And I'm like, why is today the day that that has to happen. Have you experienced that? Steph's giving me big yes. nods. It's it's so infuriating, right? It's like that thing where it's like, I, I don't know what gets up there in their craw, mm-hmm. as Louisiana folk might say. It's in their craw, and it's just like, that's it. Today's the day that that has to go down. Are you guys like that? Are you the people? I'm worried that Sheila and Mike might be the people yeah. who are moving <laughs> things on the day things have to happen. Uh, no, I am not like that. No, for, no, not for the most part. You know, there's certain things that like, you know, have to get done, but, you know, it doesn't have to be the day that we're taking a flight, you know. But I'm always the one that packs the bags anyway. So like if I needed to like move boxes in the attic, I would make sure the bags were packed. When something big is looming, I kind of stop doing everything else and just focus on that one thing. I'm like the opposite, like the polar opposite of that. That's funny. So I would I would have been up like making notes for the hearing and stuff if, if uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so. I'm Do like you think Dominic just has to get his brain off of the situation? He just does. He's just the priorities of it all is just so skewed. You know, I just keep coming back to like, there's something else going on with him. That's just like, there's like this disconnect of reality with so much of what we've seen that this is just another cog in that wheel of like, mm, there's something underneath the surface. That's not quite right. Also think about the timing too, which because of the way the episodes were spaced out and, and presented to us, he has the chicken piccata meal with joy. But before that he gets the voicemail from Mrs. Rude talking about coming by the house. And again, not the first voicemail. It's the same voicemail session where he hears that joy has test results from the doctor. So that's like the day before. So he has that. Then he has the meal. He learns about the baby. That's not his. He gets his car egged. He goes. He has the. Well, he goes to Dessa's house. He has the accident. This is the next morning that he's now trying to get out to the Roots house. So from that standpoint, after another phone call and another promise that you're going to come out there after waiting for the rain to pass, you've made so many excuses. Part of me can see where like he decides to fix it on this. But if not for this, I think he would have fixated on something else to avoid the coming hearing. That makes sense. That timeline like definitely squeezes it like closer where you understand like he's still just trying to deal with the to-do list of the days before, really. Yeah, but I totally also think he's looking for something to take off like the responsibilities that he sees and the responsibility here being to Thomas and to the hearing. So if not for this phone call, maybe he would have gone and done something for Leo or gone to see Ray again or something like that. Also, what's with the ray dropping that there's a, a hospital a doctor's visit? Dominic eventually asks the question when he's finally getting out of the house at, at the Roots house. But as soon as Ray said, as soon as anyone says, I have to go to the doctor and it's an unexpected doctor visit, I'm always thinking, oh, my God, what's wrong? So I was shocked that it took him so long to ask that question, even if he doesn't really like Ray. Just pure instinct. I would be like, oh, that's weird. Why are you going to the doctor? Mm, you know what that's making me feel like what in every other story how does that go that goes like this ray needs some sort of donor (laughs) and we're gonna need to do a little dna matching to see if you match and lo and behold raise your goddamn dad (laughs) dr Dr. morton shows up and says (laughs) run your blood test ray you you are the father you are the father. There you go. That's how you get there. there our path and then Joy comes out and and it says, Ray is the father of this baby, oh, too. Gosh. 
jeez louise it was a grandfather situation (laughs) you just didn't see the twist coming (laughs) oh my god that's crazy time okay so like so much of this would have been like solved if they just had like an ancestry dna kit right (laughs) they would never have thought to test ray in a gajillion years though so that's where you gotta have some other reason speaking of twists though people while suicide's been on the table for a lot of our characters, Mr. Rude was not on my short list. I didn't know what Whoa. was up with Mr. Rude, and I didn't know what was going to happen with Mr. Rude. So did you guys expect to have this entire falling of the ladder really being launched by Mr. Rude's actions? We knew Mr. Rude was having trouble writing, right? That was the last time he was by the house, and Mrs. Rude came out and made an excuse for her husband not being available, was that I think he was having like writer's block and having a, a bad day then too. But no, I, I don't think we had gotten nearly enough information to think he was about to eat a gun. No, not oh. at all. The, the concept of having a bad day, um, Sheila, in the whole mental health vicinity, doesn't that seem like one of those code phrases you say, whether it's Alzheimer's or whether it's some other issue, you're having a bad day is something that people are just supposed to get? Well, I mean, I don't know if people who live outside of that world actually understand what a good day versus a bad day is. But I mean, people say that with all you know, diseases. Hey, you know, we had good days and bad days today. You know, it depends on what it is. But I don't think that someone who's intimately involved is going to know what a bad day is. And that means like, you know, fuck off for today. I guess what I mean by that is that that's not something you necessarily refer to about writer's block. Like you get it that you're talking about something more serious. It's it's a nice way to gloss over sort of like any number of mortal sins when it comes to dealing with the not well. I don't feel like that phrase necessarily has an ominous meaning. Like in general, I feel like I say that all the time. Like, oh, I was just having a bad day. Like people say that all the time for anything. I know it is because of you. You're having an issue. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean, though. But like, like, but in Mrs. Rude's, the way that she was intimating it. I did not pick up You didn't take it. You just took it like he was just being grumpy that day. Yeah, like I thought she just meant like, get out of here. We don't want you here today. Like I did not. Yeah, same. I took it more strongly. No, I was. She was actually. Yeah, she was definitely kind of a little more off the wall than we've seen her before. I mean, the last time we saw her, she was just basically like, you know, soused on the porch. But she was a little more animated today. <laughs> soused. soused. And polluted. I don't know. Uh, are, are, we, are we getting a Texas translation? Or do we, uh, <laughs> th- does that c- go across state lines down to the south? Yeah, I got it. I got it. But she was definitely like, she was flailing today. Like, you know, she was definitely a lot more. He's just having a bad day. Like, she was rigid. Mm-hmm. She was signaling something was worse than I guess she could even articulate. That's how I took it as well. I took it the same way Steph did because this guy just strikes me they they strike me as like the ropers and just always being like a real crab puss you know just just always being a grumpy thing that she's always dealing with so her her not being soused necessarily today and it just struck me as just just how she has to deal with him when he's in one of his moods. Yeah I didn't pick up on that at all. So then it was a super shock to you two birds? Huge shock. Well, I feel like on these shows that have so much going on, I get lost in like thinking about what's what else is happening. And I just don't pick up on these like little clues. So I'm literally thinking he's going to fall off the roof because he's on drugs. Like I just I'm over here. Nancy drew in it. Yeah. No, I was not like I (laughs) I didn't think the eat a gun thing was happening. I just never expect anyone to eat a gun. Okay, I'm a baby like that. I I didn't pick up on any of those clues. So it just but I knew something bad was going to happen to Dominic. And I I thought like what Steph would say that he was going to like try to reach for something in his right paw that's yeah. all you know bandaged up didn't grasp the ladder and then down he goes or yeah. uh, like or, the or, line or, that was a good one yeah or at worst if like if mr Rue was going to come into it 
opening up a window and being mm. like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like scaring him and like mm. propelling him off the roof. Not that was, suicide. That would be very Three's Company actually... if that happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He has to make that sound on the way down. <laughs> no. Now, interesting because we, because we see the version of this show that's not maybe necessarily quite done yet. There was wire work in this scene and it did look like Mark Ruffalo tied up to the wire. So I'm very curious if that was actually him that does the fall okay so we have to explain that a little bit better so so we watch screeners and so steph maybe you've noted or maybe you didn't uh sheila i don't know if you did either but right at the very beginning it says that the music and things are like temporarily in there and so some of that stuff like yeah they would it's before special effects like sometimes you can tell there's a voiceover or something yeah and he was like harnessed in that so they hadn't like rubbed that out yet for our listeners it's not perfected for us when we see a little a little behind the scenes it's a rough cut if you will that's how we say all right people yeah, let, let's talk about monkeys and Dessa okay. in the field. Oh, what the? Are you ready for monkeys already? Oh, yeah. M- monkeys like that whisper. B- bonobos. Release the monkeys. <laughs> monkeys that whisper, you are me. Oh, ASMR Jesus. monkeys. Jesus. She's Jesus like, Christ, the monkeys that shriek you first. I know. It's like, what the hell Do you know how much that? I dislike shrieking monkeys? Of oh. all the monkeys, those are the monkeys. <laughs> monkeys. I, I love monkeys, but shrieking monkeys are my least favorite. Shrieking. <laughs> Me and Steph are getting silly. My favorite monkeys are Davy, Peter, Mickey. Oh, <laughs> Shilo. You funny minx. All right. So have any of you guys dealt with a morphine pump before? Green means go. Uh, I don't. So. I mean, I, I, I the only thing I was thinking was I had, you know, in the uh, C-section, I had like a pump, but yeah. I don't remember, like, it wasn't that I would like immediately fade into to non-island. Yeah, like, I play that thing like I'm on Jeopardy and I know every answer. I'm like, like hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button, hitting the button. <laughs> yeah. I've been there and I hit the damn button. Green green means go, 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 go. Yeah. <laughs> I never had a morphine pump, but I, I had surgery many years ago and they gave me morphine just in the recovery room. And like, as I was going back under, I was like, I never want this again. It was the worst feeling. I felt like I was having a heart attack. So oh, I was really? like, when I woke back up, I was like, never give me that fucking shit again. Like, whatever <laughs> you've got, like, I don't want that. Like, give that to somebody else. That's so awesome. if ne- I had a morphine pump, I, blah. I'm like, no. I've, I've, I've never even had codeine. So this oh. was such a, an experience to watch kind of play out because it's just not something I can identify with in any You've way, shape, or form. never had babies, though, so you, you haven't had your <laughs> Right, right, right. I mean, just like, like surgery, I've never had any kind of pain pill. You and I are actually, we were just talking about this the other day. Uh, I've just never had any kind of pain pill. So it's always, you see it play out on TV a lot, but for some reason, and maybe it's just a compliment to the realism of this show, this seemed more realistic than any other trope about someone high on some kind of pain pill pain meds or or some kind of morphine confusing things for sure like confusing where you are now and and things that are happening i mean i i think they did a good job trying to make us as audience members feel disoriented by throwing in things like a monkey and we're in a bed no we're in a field no we're in our underwear no it's thomas so who's knocking on what i think they did a good job of setting the tone that we're all disoriented aren't we and farting Steven made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Finally, he one was my funny favorite thing. freaking part of this entire series is Steven trying to catch Dominic falling out of the bed and farting all over the place oh and just God. making me laugh and smile. And I was like, we all need Steven and Leo. But let, let's let's talk, though, just even before that, really, like the reveal that 
a little bit more than the first half of this episode had all been a hallucination. I mean, there were definitely clues that we, we even we've talked about some of them, the unrealistic aspect of being back on your feet, dealing with car insurance the next morning. But what was your guys' general reaction to the reveal that this was all a giant twist and, and he had, in fact, been out for three days, four days? Mm, I did not get that. I thought, no, I didn't think that that was a twist. I thought he did, in fact, fall off that ladder. And so this was yeah. a yeah, second hospitalization. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I thought that yeah. he fell off. Oh, no. Actually I, did fall yeah. off. No, all of that was fake. I'm positive. That was mm. uh, everything that happened in the beginning of this episode was, was a hallucination. He was in the hospital from the car accident. No, I, no, I didn't I'm think like, so. I'm like 99% sure because it doesn't make sense. Like being back on your feet, dealing with a car adjuster. What a car adjuster is coming in 1990 is coming out the next morning to look at your car. Like literally. Oh, yeah, no, no. I am positive. This was all a hallucination. Am I the only one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like, uh-uh. That's, but, uh-uh. That was my point at the very beginning when I said, who thought they would take it to this level? I thought the car accident would have been the cause of everything that of had him. happened. So yes. how crazy for him to actually have recovered from the car accident fairly like, enough to, to get enough. think he should head over to, to this job. Yeah. And then- that's, why, that's why I'm saying all of this was in his mind. It was all different aspects of his mind playing out what would happen. Ray being fatherly. Mm. The, the entire, uh, this happens at one in the morning that he's out of the hospital with pain meds filled, with a prescription filled, dealing with a car adjuster who's actually coming out to the lot, all within nine hours that happened overnight. None of that is realistic. None of that is wow. realistic. Well, oh my God. We're going to put you in that camp, blown. but I, I, yeah, no, I'm not there. I, 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 I hear your noise and I believe your noise, but, um, <laughs> but I'm, yeah, no. He's convincing oh. with the noise though. Hold on. Like, yeah. oh, no, like, no, for, no, but he's got a lot of good points because there's no way for, for t- barring the healthcare stuff aside. You're like, oh, my. There's, there's, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being his lawyer right now. <laughs> I want you to be like, mom, no, mom, just say mom. And then it'll be extra funny. Mom. Mom, mom, listen. Hey, mom. mom. Listen to me, damn it. Mom, no, Linda. He's right. Linda. He's right. Just listen. So, Linda. <laughs> Lin- no, I have Anne. <laughs> um, no, Linda's from that little boy like, on the Linda, thing. Linda, the Linda, 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 Lisa, Linda. Lisa, Linda, Lisa. But Linda, no, Lisa. so like say this car accident happened, say midnight. He's right. There's no adjuster in the world that's going to be like, oh, sure. I have a 1030 opening tomorrow. Same day. No problem. I, I, I am shocked I'm the only one hmm. here who's thinking this. But no, but you're swaying me. You're swaying me to your your camp. It was the difference between I thought this was extremely sloppy writing and did not like it to I thought it was really clever to fuck us for, you know, fuck with our minds for 30 minutes. Like it was the (laughs) otherwise it is the most unbelievable thing I have ever seen in my life. The and I don't like this episode to I think it's actually really clever and, and how well done it was done. You would have to pay really, really close attention to draw that conclusion, though, I think is like, you know, just someone watching this, like not breaking it down the way that we are. Like, I would have completely missed that if we weren't, if you didn't just say that. Go wrap your car around uh, a tree and see how fast <laughs> no, your insurance no, adjuster, see how fast your insurance adjuster will come out and clear huh. you through all of that. It is thankfully, not nine hours. Yeah, overnight. thankfully there aren't a lot of you know open fields with just one tree and a cow near me, so I'm good. We live around a lot of cows. We're both like, um, uh, that could totally happen. No. <laughs> oh, same by me too. Me. Yeah, the only yeah. cows by me are like in steak form. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, cows are cows are a hazard uh, up here, as are all manner of wildlife. Yeah. But yeah, all of the clues are there for me that this was all a hallucination huh. until okay. he wakes up. Sure, this is the one point where like I didn't catch up in the book. And, I'm like, looking now at we need okay. Well, I'm looking at this just quick. Just I just typed in the I typed in the words Dominic falls from ladder. I know this much is true. And at least in the book, it acts like this happened the way that we're saying it did in terms of the within weeks. Dominic has to test his survivor skills. In short order, he witnesses a suicide. He falls from a ladder on a house painting job, serious injuries with his leg. I mean, to me, hmm. this has this happened. Well, let's leave that. Let's leave that. So sloppy and unrealistic. Let's leave that as like a giant huh. Like, huh. did this happen? Did this not happen? I am willing to listen. And I'm, I think that this wild, the whole idea, there is the flashback idea. And P.S., in case the monkey part, his mom calls Dominic her little monkey. And remember, Thomas is her little bunny. Like a little spider uh, monkey, right? So that's yeah. where the little spider monkey mm-hmm. comes into play with okay. that mess. I'm glad that's not totally random because yeah. that was really freaky. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm willing to just leave it as like a huh. I don't know, because it kind of doesn't matter exactly, I guess. I mean, it's really interesting to think about either way, I think, but it doesn't exactly matter in terms of like, we really have to get into the fact that he missed the hearing. Oh, no. That's the, really the main thing. And, you know, what happens moving forward, right? I'll Medical. let you know. I'll report back next okay. week when I catch up to this part in the book. That's <laughs> as soon as he was like, what day is it? The dude was like, November 3rd. I was like, no. And he had to think about it. It was like, I'm like, maybe it's the first. No. No. Three days also, later. Just to go back to my point. No. <laughs> no. We have to move on. He's he's out four I days. I agree with you. Un- he's unconscious four days for falling off the ladder. But he destroys his windshield and cracks up his car full speed into a tree. And he's awakened on his feet in, yeah. in eight hours. Come on, come on. Anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm moving on. Okay, we can, never mind. We no can talk gonna, about cars. No one's going to talk back to you about this. That's just the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> we have to move on because this is going to be like an 18 hour edit for me. I'm going to cry. My, I'm going to make all of you sit on the line with me while I edit. So let's get to this whole concept of him missing it. Okay, so when you guys realized that he missed the hearing, did you think they had postponed it or were you sticking to your guns? I know last week for sure, Mike, Sheila, I know you guys for sure said, no way, they're definitely not going to postpone it. Were you still hoping or did you think maybe? I was convinced they plowed ahead. Me too. I knew that. I knew they did. Were you happy that Lisa said, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to see you and we're going to go through this? No, because I knew it was going to be bad news. Any, anything, yeah, anytime but, you have to do something in person, it's never a good thing. Yeah, if they bring you to the little room after the surgery, that's not right. good either. Yeah. That's better that she came to see him versus just like, I mean, letting him, telling him over the phone and be like, oh, sorry. I mean, because when is he going to be able to come talk to her? Weeks and weeks and weeks. So sh- she needed to come Six there. to eight weeks later. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. No, he's bionic. He would have been on his feet in, in two days. <laughs> And then falling down a side flight of stairs, like on like a naked gun. Like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Nordberg. <What's> a- <laughs> Nordberg. Yeah, exactly. That's what would have happened next. Okay. So brings a card from Patel, flowers from her. I thought Lisa's visit was super uncomfortable, super weird. The way she was like, hey, you look like you can barely even focus your eyes. How about you read this weird report? Because I need some coffee. <laughs> yeah. I don't so. think she could actually tell him. You know, she was already very emotional, like seeing him like that. And then sort of what happened in the hearing. I don't think she was capable of actually telling him. That was just her cop out. 
Mike, what'd you think? I, I thought it was so weird. I think uh, the whole thing here was so weird uh, because she was all of a sudden finally passionate about this case. The same way I've been complaining for two episodes that you'd want her to be in the office with you. Why? Because she's now in the hospital, like out of the work, like she's like off the clock coming to see him. That she finally has some fire in her belly and then and then like blames herself for being snippy for causing the hearing to go bad. Like she she became so passionate about this case all of a sudden that she cost the whole thing was weird. And she called him Domenico again, which just Oh, made me I thought go. you guys were gonna I, totally hiccup on that because I was like, what the frig is with this? Just like she called him it like four times. I got the impression she was hitting on him. What? Yeah, I got the no. impression she was kind of hitting on him in her very clunky way. <laughs> clunky. It was very uncomfortable and super <laughs> awkward. Wow, ladies, were any of you picking? You up know, on like that? someone who has no. never tried to talk to the opposite sex. <laughs> no, like, hey, her interaction here was like the equivalent of Thomas dancing on the dance floor in the flashback. That's like her human interaction here was like the equivalent for me. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. I thought it was unkind to say the least to worry about going to get a cup of coffee rather than sit there and talk to him. She had just arrived. You know, it seemed like to me like. What the frig? Like, get your cup of coffee on the way in the door. Come I don't on. know. Maybe I'm just being a like super jerk about it. But I, to me, like, if you're if you're making the the journey to come see me, and within 30 seconds, y'all, you need to step out for some need of your own. I'm like, like you're saying, you're like, handle it before you step in the right. door. Come Go on, get now. coffee before you walk in here. Don't be weird. Like, I'm gonna be proud walking in with the cup of coffee that made me late. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's my point. How about when people walk in with a Starbucks and they're like, the traffic. I was so late because of the traffic and they freaking have like to go bags and you're like, we all see your coffee. (laughs) Right. It was the drive through line at Starbucks, you Mm -hmm. know, that did that. 15 cars deep. Okay. So then we get the actual moment of the hearing, which I was really glad that they showed us the hearing versus having to hear Lisa's version of the hearing or have to just read it over Dominic's shoulder in the folder. I'm glad they took us to that scene. Was that more impactful for you guys? Or would you have been okay learning of the results in a different way? I needed to see Dr. Hume. I needed to see like the wretchedness of him. Steph, you mentioned that you had recognized the actor. And so you already came in with like some preconceived ideas of that doctor and like how he acts. Yeah, I don't know the actor's name, but he's a doctor in the show called The Resident. And um, he's like a pretty despicable guy doing shady things and and being just a general asshole. So I was like, oh, no, like not that guy again. Like he's not he's not going to be good. So, I mean, we already knew it wasn't going to be good for sure. And I did not think that they would postpone it. I figured they would go ahead and move forward. And it just broke my heart for Elisa to tell Dominic, too, that like Thomas kept saying something happened to you, something happened to you. And like he was right. So I was super uncomfortable with the doctor and the way he was just setting Thomas up for failure, like baiting him with these questions. Like Thomas saying that he was atoning for the sins of the world with his hand incident. And then he started talking about how Jesus, you know, he listens to Jesus. And then the doctor's like, well, what if Jesus asked you to do this? And what if Jesus asked you to kill someone? And he's like, but Jesus would never do that. He just basically kept on it until Thomas agreed that he would obey Jesus if he told him to kill someone, which is Thomas is right. Like if he really is hearing the voice of Jesus, like he would never say like harm someone else. That's like the Bible teaches to turn the other cheek and forgive 70 times seven. And like, there's no way that Thomas is going to do that. I had the same reaction you did. Like he totally baited him into it. Like when Thomas responds, Jesus would never do that. Like to me, that's a sufficient answer on that kind of question. He knew if he kept pressuring him to force an answer, he knew what the answer was 
going to be. Dr. Hume had his decision made when he walked into that room. Absolutely. And he just, want, and he just wanted to be able to toss a smug look at, at uh, Lisa's, Lisa's face, which he did. It felt did. so much like that whole, have you stopped beating your wife kind of question where it's like, there's nothing. If you say yes, then you've admitted to beating your wife. If you say no, then you've admitted to beating your wife. Yeah. Like, it's like there was no, it's like, if Jesus told you to stab me, would you? It's Jesus. Yeah. Would you not listen to Jesus? Come on. And I mean, I, I applaud Thomas for hanging in as long as he did right. repeatedly saying, but Jesus wouldn't tell me to do stuff like that. You know, like that felt like good and right and scary it's like badgering as the witness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, badgering the witness. And the guy's name is um, the actor. His, he's uh, Bruce Greenwood. Yeah. So, so, so scary. Like how much control that the hearing board has. We've talked about this in the last episode that we just felt like they were just going to have so much control. And to find out now he's in here for a year, you guys. Like we don't get a review for a year and we still have two episodes to go. Did you guys think that we were going to not get to this point until like the last second? I thought it was going to be the last episode would be the hearing. What did you guys think? I thought so, too. I thought this was going to be the the grandfather episode. And then I thought we were going to deal with like the aftermath of the car accident. And then, yeah, I, I thought I thought the final episode, the sixth episode would be the hearing. Yeah, I didn't think that this was going to be sort of like front and center here. But I do like the device of the hearing of reading the hearing notes and then taking you into the memory, because I think it then sets you up for the end with Nedra bringing back the manuscript. What a surprise, you guys. They introduce a device that will allow us to travel back to that time and, and maybe spend an episode next week, you know, or part of an episode next week going going through that history. Well, we kept saying that the grandfather story would come back around. And so I kept waiting for Nedra to sort of appear somewhere. But I definitely didn't expect her to be the girlfriend of some old guy in the hospital bed. Like, and she comes what? in wearing like a cowgirl costume? Good God. <laughs> she has definitely reinvented herself in these three years. <laughs> oh, my God. Too much. That was a surprise. But I was glad we saw her again. <laughs> Just to like, I need to move on like in that storyline. You know, because we've been talking about it for several episodes, like when she was going to come back and we were going to get back to the grandfather. So, but, but again, also, how scary is Wally Lamb going to make him? Is he going right? to turn out the grandfather's like Hannibal Lecter or something? Because like, that's where we're going. Again, she says, I would not read this. Don't read it. I Which mean, is absolutely 100% a guarantee that he's going to read it. Of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, whatever y'all do, don't, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's going to be shocking. So the book does, the scene in the book does play out the same way it played out here in the show. It appears based on the book anyway that I am wrong. But man, it really makes me dislike half of this episode a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. It's just so sloppy. It's just so unrealistic and sloppy. For, oh, ugh. <laughs> But you had me convinced, you know, like I was well, I mean, swaying you don't. to your. I swear and, it was the, it was the only way. And Steph and I were ironclad. We were like, no, no, yeah, that's no, really... sorry, sorry, bro. It was the only. I, I mean, because it, it depends on how you hit. The, I mean, come on, we can get into the logistics of car accident. My mom broke her neck at thirty miles an hour in a car accident. You know, yeah. I mean, you can anything can happen just based on how the car. So to me, like you're right, the insurance adjuster is not going to be there in the morning. But I thought he walked away from that fairly unscathed, like with the hand and the busted up face. Like that's what but I thought. I mean, like not not for anything. Like, trucks in the '90s did not have airbags and things like that. Like, was he wearing a seatbelt? But I they were made like was, tanks. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're pickup because, truck girls, though. Yeah, hold up, I mean, hold I, up. We're gonna fight you on that for a second. Say again, Steph. I said they're made like tanks. They are made like tanks, especially like a like a farm truck like yeah. that that he was driving. Those things are made like tanks. Because most cars, Jesus, the tree would have split your car in half. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I'm with you on that. Mm. I drove I drove like a 
89 something or other that I ran into the back of a car and it didn't even skate. I mean, it just didn't even make a dent or a scratch. That thing was Dude, I went but the massive. other car was demolished. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like, yeah, 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 we're like the worst. I, I've smashed up so many other cars that my car, I walk away and I was like, oh shit, something happened there. Well, like all the cars in Texas have uh, like cattle guards on the front yeah. of them anyway, so you can smash into something and your car's totally yeah, you fine. Can. <laughs> Just change out the guard. Right? <laughs> we're like, push your cattle. <laughs> like, anyway. We're like the craziest today. Good God. <laughs> I'm glad we're laughing because I did not think we were going to come into this laughing. I know. Well, we got a little weird. I know. know. That's how this works. So the whole Steven thing, the whole Nedra thing, what a shock. Did you guys, uh, just one other thing. I think this is an official breakup with Joy. We all agree. That was like a magician's trick with the, with the curtain. Like there she is. That was was my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. She walked out for the last time. That was, that was my takeaway. Official bust up there. Good. Steph's like, thank God. Finally. I know, right? But she was like trying so hard to like hang on to it by saying like, we need to get the nurse. You're talking crazy. It's the meds. You know, you're wrecking everything. I don't know. I I feel like she was just grasping, I think, because she was just like, I just need to salvage this because I need someone to take care of me and my baby. That was sad when Dominic was saying under his breath when she was trying to talk. He was like, you're lucky it's not mine. (gasps) He said that. Oh my god! Undamaged goods. Yeah, yeah. Undamaged goods is what I wish you. I wish we had a camera on us because Steph just like looked in the mask and was like, "You wish it was not my baby." He was like, (laughs) "Stop! Did you put like a demon inside me? Don't do that! Don't exercise at me!" Bro, she exercised at me. You guys. (laughs) Were you guys surprised at at the change in his tone? One with Lisa talking about how he wasn't angry more angry anymore, and then just coming clean and apologizing to Joy as much as as anything else he seems very transformed at this point or at least when he's high on morphine anyway he does like i was surprised that not necessarily that he came so clean to joy but that he seemed very apologetic and self-reflective of you're you're better off that it's not my baby my baby but um (laughs) yeah i know i was i thought it was an interesting like change in his character so curious how that carries forward if it does carry forward he was apologetic and that's not kind of like the takeaway that i took from that scene but when he tells her about the vasectomy that was like a confession i don't think he ever planned to tell her and i think that him saying that he's damaged because i think that's more of a confession to himself finally i had read an article months ago it's like the drunk you is the real you like in terms of your personality so i guess the high Both of our eyes just went like, like, oh my God. The impaired version of yourself is like, you know, sort of because you you don't have your guards, your filters and all that stuff isn't your decorum, like all that stuff isn't up. And I guess when you're, you know, stripped of that, you're, you're, you're more honest, you're more real. I'm a goof. So you're all in trouble. (laughs) I just get giggly. I don't, I don't tell people that I'm damaged goods. I already know that. Oh my goodness. I, I, Mike, maybe I think you're right that this was a little like we actually got a little moment here, but I think it's like low of the low. I think after he falls out of bed, literally, and realizes that he cannot even help himself, and like literally an old elderly farting man has to help him back into bed. I mean, if you don't realize how low you are, you know, when that's happening, you've got to be like, because I feel like I'm like very sensitive to stuff like that fart smell kind of sitch. The idea of having to be there and trying to recover and having the smell oh of God. farts like, come like wafting over. It, yeah. I would check myself out AMA. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? You're like, you're like, I got to go on account of the, the methane stink in here. <laughs> Can't handle it. I'm like out. I'm high from the morphine and the methane. And know? then I'm low on the fart smells. <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> and get this Nedra lady out of my face. Oh, Seriously. My gosh. Good God. If all she needed was a giant lollipop or something, like licking, because she just seemed like such a weirdo with that yeah. outfit on. And I just wanted to slap her for what she said. Like, life has not been kind to you. Well, no shit, Sherlock. He's laying in a bed. <laughs> you know, he's got a compound fracture. His right foot was facing, you know, oh southward. He was facing north. You know, come on. And then she, she says, my condolences, and then don't read it. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's a mess. That's like information that, you know, you, you're not supposed to want. Uh, well overall predictions for next oh, episode good grief. well i think we're gonna finally go back to grandpa now that he's got the manuscript translated into english with no charge other than what now he's i'm paid. really not wanting to go <laughs> oh, i thought it would be a relief to get out of dominic's world but now i'm sort of dreading it i feel like we're really moving off of thomas i feel like this was yeah. almost like an, the end of the thomas story in in having Lisa say to him the same way Patel did, no, I'm not worried about Thomas anymore. Now I'm worried about you. Like, I feel like it's a shift in the narrative will be away from Thomas to either this identity issue that we were kind of dangled at the beginning or, or something else about Dominic. That seems dead on. I, I agree with you that there there's definitely a big shift happening here. And I think even Ray maybe come back in a little bit more into our, our world because he's just been sort of in and out. I think we lose some characters like we're going to lose like Lisa and mm, Thomas and stuff, but then we enjoy. Yeah. But then we got to add in some other people. Some people got to be coming in from their back. So very interesting. But do we have to keep adding in that horrible song at the end? Like, come on. I was like, seriously, after all this, we got to listen to that song How do you feel musical wise yeah. there, Mike? You're the one who typically notes it. Totally invisible to me this yeah. week. Except for that, that song so at the weird? end. Like, come on. So so strange how just that one episode was all like, pay attention to the music. Yeah. And then every other episode's been yeah. like, what music? And orcs, quit playing that music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, this has been another exciting adventure in the uh, land of the birdsies. Is it bird's eye? Is that the proper? You're bird's, bird's eye. eye. Birdsies or bird's eye? The pluralization. Birdsie. Birdsies. Birdsie. 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 It's birds. It goes, I, was, I, was, I was making it. Yeah, joke. I got you. I got you. Uh-huh. I got you. This is Caroline. This is Steph. This is Sheila. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening to the I Know This Much Is True podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.